Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. Here are your hosts, Bill Fraser and Tony Sartu. Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. I'm Bill. And I'm Tony. And we're going to explore our love for music by sharing some facts and our thoughts about what I consider to be some of the best albums from the most recent Rolling Stone Top 500 album list. And today we're going to be talking about U2's Octung Baby, released on November 18th, 1991. Bill, do you know what else significant happened on November 18th? Well, I think, if I recall correctly, that you have twins that were born on November 18th. Indeed. It wasn't 1991. It was 2008. But November 18th was the day that uh, Bono and the boys birthed Octung Baby and uh, Colleen birthed James and Ellie. So <laughs> happy birthday to Octung Baby and James and Ellie Sartu. So anyway, so what happened? You uh, 2 Octung Baby, sold 18 million copies worldwide. It was U2's seventh studio album, and it debuted at number one. It spawned five singles, One, Mysterious Ways, The Fly, Even Better Than the Real Thing, and Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses. So I, I know we both have a very different history with U2. So maybe let me start with, I, as you know, Tony was not a U2 fan, and I was probably like Mr. Anti-U2 in high school. Um, I didn't get excited about their music. I didn't really get what all of the fuss was about with you know some of their earlier albums and i really didn't listen to them very much until college and 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 really specifically 1991 was the year where u2 made an entry into my life because my college roommate at the time was a huge u2 fan and he loved playing two albums pretty much on repeat he would play rattle and hum and he would play octone baby on repeat that along with Nine Inch Nails, but that's another story. But those two albums were on a lot. So I got to hear U2 a lot and I got to hear very different U2 from what I thought they were when, you know, the, the early U2 was. And I, I think that's really very much the case from, from my understanding of it. So, Tone, I know that that wasn't your perspective on U2. I, I think you come at it from a very different angle. Yeah, I do, but it's not quite um, as a long history as you uh, might think. I actually, you know, our mutual dear friend um, who was the big U2 fan, I used to actually actually hate on YouTube all the time. I, you know, I mean... Oh, so so wait a minute, so wait a minute, wait a minute. So you were hating on YouTube and then you were giving me crap about hating on YouTube. Are you? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Are, are you su suggesting you can't believe I was being hypocritical? <laughs> I, 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 shock of shocks. <laughs> shock of shocks. Um, so yes, I used to hate on YouTube and I'll, I'll never forget what changed me. And I know this isn't a unforgettable fire pod, but when James popped in a cassette of Wide Awake in America into the Blue Sob one day and just hearing Bad Live on that, I was like, whoa, what am I What am I thinking? These guys are amazing. And that was the uh, song that changed me. It was Bad from uh, Wide Awake in America. If you haven't heard it, listen to it. But if you're listening to this, you've probably heard it. It's amazing. And that's what changed me. So I was not a lifelong YouTube fan. In fact, I was a hater. It's like, oh, pride. Oh, great. You know, keep going on Sunday bloody sunday all right bono awesome but no um bad changed it all for me and that's how i came to you too that, that's interesting <laughs> so there you go you learned something so what changed it for me was one song on on octung baby it was ultraviolet so that's the song that really you know opened me up to you too that song still gives me chills when i hear it it's a great 
song. So where are we at? So from a tour perspective, I think you actually went to see that tour. Correct? I did. That, so I hadn't seen you uh, 2 previously until the Octung tour. And the Octung tour, if we just start with some facts and figures, it ran from January of 92 and finished in December of 93. So almost two years in its entirety. It started in the U.S. in Lakeland, Florida, and it consisted of five legs. The first two legs were indoor shows, and then the last three legs were outdoor stadium shows. Altogether, 5.3 million people saw the Octung Baby Tour, and the tour grossed $151 million. And uh, the legs were uh, U.S., Europe, U.S., Europe, and then the last leg was in Oceania and Asia, finishing in Tokyo, Japan. So if I remember our recent discussion well, you actually had the opportunity to see one of the shows, but you didn't. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> yes. So one of my many regrets, but one that I definitely think of frequently is the aforementioned James had an uncle, Uncle Tony, um, uh, it turns out, Uncle Tony, who was an usher at Madison Square Garden, or not an usher, he was a ticket taker. And that was back in the day when, you know, it was paper tickets. So it was easy to fake taking a ticket and, you know, he would just let, uh, he could just let us in whenever we wanted to go. Theoretically, I never took advantage of that. Jamie apparently did. So anyway, Jamie called me up, said, hey, let's go see Octung at the garden. And I said, no, you know, I can't do it. Tonight's initiation night and I'm the I'm the pledge, pledge educator. So, you know, I really got to be at this thing. So anyway, I skipped Octung at Madison Square Garden to do frat boy stuff. But you did see them in DC? Yeah, so I then, so that was the uh, missing the uh, indoor shows, but then I did get to see three outdoor shows in the old Yankee Stadium, in DC at RFK Stadium, and in Philly at uh, Veterans Stadium. And, uh, you know, just a sign of how old we are, all three of those stadiums no longer exist. All right. So, what, what was your takeaway from that tour? I heard, you know, really it was very different approach, a spectacle. And, you know, Bono played a character during the tour, and it was very much about, you know, the performance. Yeah, so it was really strange. And and you bring up that, you know, a good point. It was so strange because coming on the heels of Rattle, and, you know, keep in mind that we were, you know, 20, 21, 22, how old, however old we were at the time, you know, it's not like we had a deep history and we didn't have the internet or whatever. So we just knew what we saw. And the last thing we saw was the Rattle and Hum movie. And, you know, that's them in all their Western garb and singing the traditional American music in the scenery of the Wild West. And then we go to Octung and the show is the Mr. Mephisto or whatever he called himself, the, the character from, from The Fly. And it was jarring. And at the time, frankly, I didn't like it. You know, I, I enjoyed what I had previously seen and I was taken aback by the spectacle and all the stimulation and the audio visual. You know, this was just something that was completely new and it, it was, was so jarring. ahead of its time. I mean, I, I, it, like, I, I really wish I had gotten to see that tour. Everything I've read, it's it was so ahead of its time as to how it was overloading sensory and it was really a sign of things to come. I mean, ba basically they were on the, the precipice of all the things that we were coming up upon and they were highlighting that this is what's going to happen. They were at least 10 years ahead of their time with the things that they were focusing on. You know, they were doing basically cell phone calls on every show. It was like just the, the, the deluge of media that they were throwing at you, which is just a precursor to the doom scrolling that we all do every single day. And 
they saw it coming and they uh, presented it to us in concert. And, you know, just world history wise, you know, 1991 is when the internet really kind of started becoming commercial. It's it's the year actually where internet became unrestricted and, and people could actually interact on the internet. So it, it was, that's really very early. You know, it was Microsoft DOS 5 was the, the operating system at the time. You know, it was a very different time in the world. And they, they you know, that, that tour and that album was very, it was very ahead of its time. So maybe let's talk about the, the album a little bit. So from a shift perspective, you know, everything I understand is that that album was all about change for them. They, they were seen as the earnest, you know, Irish band in, you know, of Joshua Tree. And then they put out Rattle and Hum. You've got the Irish fans feeling one way about it, the American fans feeling another way about it. And again, you you, you were probably more, more fan at the time. You know, how did you feel about it when it came out? So I, uh, I loved Rattle and, uh, but it was up and down, right? So um, the thing that I loved about Rattle uh, the most was uh, they do a version of Exit uh, from Joshua Tree, which is really on Joshua. It's really quiet and 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 subdued, and you know, like it's a little sinister, but it's really you know, it's really quiet. And on Rattle, it rocks. It's just an absolute banger. So Exit on Rattle is what um, makes Rattle uh, redeems it for me. But you know, to say that it. It was maybe not critically well received, or maybe that some fans were disappointed. But you know, disappointed to the tune of 14 million copies sold, right? So it was, you know, maybe into context, it's not that disappointing, but it just was a little bit commercially, over the top. yeah, commercial, com- some commercial success. But critically, it was received pretty, you know, brutally. I mean, the, the critics in the U.S. basically said, "Look, you have no right to be, you know, doing, you know, Americana, you know, you know, blues and classic rock and roll stuff. What do you know about?" And not only that, but, you know, look, the, the Rolling Stones made a living doing that music, you know, so, you know, very true, say? but it's but a very different time. So. <laughs> but but they did it, you know, much cooler. You know, I mean, Edge was walking around with like some crappy fedora with a playing card <laughs> in his hat. I mean, geez, like if you were trying to be a D-bag character, Edge was playing it. And I don't think he was going for it. I think he was being sincere. And, and that's at the root of the problem, I think, is that they were sincerely exploring this music that was new to them, that they found exciting and interesting and, and whatnot. But gosh, they really came off as rubes. And it's so funny because like, I, I feel like that's happened a few times with them because, and I, I think I've shared this with you, my, you know, my daughter's experience with, with U2 is they hate U2 and they hate U2 because U2 is the band that their stupid album got forced onto my iPhone. Like why, how can I get this stupid music off shuffle because all I do is shuffle my music and this damn album that I don't want to listen to is there. <laughs> and that wasn't the intent for you. To, they were giving the damn album away, but it just re- received so poorly. So it seems like they've just got this history of not thinking through some some things and how people might perceive some of the things they're going to do very well. Well, you know, I guess that's the risk, right? When you're trying new stuff, you know, if you're not completely calculated and, you know, um, market tested and, and, and whatnot, you're going to screw some things up. And, you know, we, what we can say is they were genuine and whether or not it works, they weren't faking it. Well, 
I, I agree with that. And I actually really like Rattle. Um, I, you know, for me, you know, I go right to the opening Helter Skelter is just, I think, awesome. And Desire, the, you know, those two tracks for me, like just awesome opening to an album. I just, I really, really love those two tracks. But because of the reception they had in the US, because of how their Irish fans felt about it, they really felt like they needed to go back and reinvent themselves. Yeah, the, um, the quote that uh, really stuck with me was um, watching a clip of the last show that they did um i mean it wasn't a part of the official tour so it was it was a just a small uh performance in dublin at the end of the uh rattle tour and you know you can see in the clip that they're just physically exhausted and 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 bono's parting words were we have to go away and dream it all up again and a quote that i saw uh talking about that time was bono thinking about the impact that rattle had and uh, the way it was received and quote that he said was that they left Ireland an interesting post-punk phenomenon and they returned a not very good American show band and then he asked the uh, rhetorical question have we become the enemy and the answer as Octung Baby demonstrates is yes and they completely decided to put everything that they had done before away and pivot to something brand new which is and it's interesting how they did that because they worked with producers they've worked with before so many times they brought back Dan, Daniel Lanois. They brought back Brian Eno. They brought back Steve Lillywhite. You know, these are people that they've worked with on on multiple albums previously with, and to great success. But they really challenged them as producers to to help them blow it up. And it was very much the same team, but they, they decided to do it differently. And and I think you know that led to you know a lot of an interesting dynamic with the band. And I know they were in a really difficult place before you know before Octone Baby started recording. You know, I, I think you know even some of the things I read was you know there was some question on whether they would even stay together as a band um so i think it's interesting that they they came together and they just decided to just go at it completely different yeah well you know they were going through different things you know so bono's experience is always different than uh, everybody else's uh experience because he is the the voice and the face of the band uh, but meanwhile edge his uh, marriage was breaking up and there was a lot of uh, personal turmoil for him uh, at that time. And uh, meanwhile, you know, you've got Larry and Adam just doing what they do and they're comfortable doing U2 as they've done it. So they were in a place where they weren't looking for change. But meanwhile, Bono and Edge are in different emotional places, different places musically, and just feeling like they needed to do something completely different. So you've got some conflict there just within the four uh, members. And, you know, both Lanois and Eno are incredibly prolific. You know, Lanois has, has worked with Dylan. He's worked with Neil Young and Peter Gabriel, Robbie Robertson from the band, uh, you know, just incredibly prolific producer. And Eno is the same. He's worked with U2 extensively. Uh, he's worked with Bowie extensively. He's, he's worked with more recently Coldplay. And he's actually you know, quite an artist in his own right in, you know, having an album on Rolling Stone's top 500 list himself. And here come the warm jets. Uh, and it, it is a really interesting listen. It's, it's, it's a really unique album. So if you haven't listened to it, I would really recommend it. But, you know, they, they go and they decide to record. At a different location to start. So why? Well, so they decided to go to Hansa Studios in 
Germany. And, uh, you know, besides whatever might be happening in the world, you know, Hansa is a legendary recording studio, is a, a place where Bowie recorded multiple albums and he brought other uh, folks there to record as well, uh, including Iggy Pop, where uh, Iggy did his uh, best received work. But then at the same time, you've got what was happening in Germany in 1991 as they were recording. So the bands in Germany, they're, you know, all, all the, the sentiment of the wall coming coming down and uh, unification and the band is fighting. You know, they're, they're not getting along very well. I mean, I, from everything I understand, the the early sessions were very much conflict. And it's it's really, it's such a dichotomy that the first track that comes out of that album and the first thing that came out of those Hansa sessions is the song one. You know, it's really about unifying and coming together, uh, which is, you know, I know maybe not the your favorite track and maybe you feel it's overplayed and, and a little too commercial, but it's a beautiful track. Yeah, but it's not a surprise, right? Because it's actually what, it's when they found their collective voice in this new environment you know they um you know they're they're in germany and they're basically stuck there they're trying to write songs and nothing's working but the reason part of the reason they're there is you know because of all the change and upheaval and and all that and actually there's a funny story um where you know um as the wall's coming down they they go out to you know some site where you know they want to celebrate with the people the uh the, the tearing down of the wall and then they look around and everyone's mad and they're, they're, they realize that they were at a site where people wanted to keep the wall up so uh it's kind of all i don't know if it's a metaphor for the whole process but you know here they they went looking for you know something new for inspiration uh musically and then similarly they went uh to the wall looking for a celebration and they found the walls the people who still wanted to keep the walls up so um that's to me kind of symbolic of what was happening in these sessions so the the quote that stands out to me from the whole uh research that i've done is the the bono quote about the the, the fly and and the, you know if you haven't listened to the album it's it's a it's a spectacular album but the, the fly is really kind of the heart and soul of that album from a, what they were going for intent wise and bono's quote is that the fly is the sound of four men chopping down the joshua tree and it couldn't be more spot on it's like you, you hear that track and you're like you don't even recognize who, who these is guys this are. band yeah <laughs> you know and, and and that's definitely you could definitely see how the 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 german influence uh kicks in there because at the time uh the german club scene was electronic music and the kind of sound that you hear all throughout this album but particularly on the fly and you know it's a complete departure from so, rattle so, so let's talk a little bit about that year in music so I'm, I'm you know you and i were both in college we we're both 20 in 1991 and you know looking at what came out that year you know just just some of the albums that you know i remember listening to but you know they're also great albums Nevermind came out that year you've got obviously octung baby you've got pearl jam 10 came out that year uh the chili peppers blood sugar sex magic came out that year uh you've got um lenny kravitz mama said came out that year Soundgarden, bad motor finger came out that year so you've got a lot of really rock based stuff that came out that year and specifically the grunge stuff was coming out so you two went in a very different direction than that with with you know octung you've also got a lot of 
of things, you know, like the Tribe Called Quest low-end theory. You, you know, you've got uh, Cool J, uh, Mama Said Knock You Out. So you've got a lot of really interesting different things that came out that year. And that, that album really is unique. I mean, they were they were ahead of the curve with, with some of the things they were doing there. So I'd say yes, for sure, when you're thinking about American music. But earlier, uh, you mentioned uh, your roommate who uh, was listening to Rattle and Octung all the time, was also listening to Nine Inch Nails. Yep. And I feel like, um, you know, that time period, Head Like a Hole was played over and over again. Um, 100%. Exactly when Octung came out. And to me, I hear a lot of that when I uh, listen to Octung. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. And, and you know, the, the other stuff that I remember, you know, <laughs> being just inundated with, you know, 19, you can't go to Rutgers and, you know, have lived through 1991 without hearing that Spin Doctors album about a thousand times. So I think we talked a, a lot about the context. I think we talked about the tour. Why, why don't we maybe move into our song draft? Oh, the song draft. Bill, what's a song draft? So Tony and I have decided that rather than ranking our album's tracks and, and just doing giving you a boring, we think this is first, we think this is second, we're going to compete with each other every week. And uh, we're going we're going wait, to go Bill? head to head. A competition? A competition, Tony. A competition. Oh. We're going to go head to head every week and we are going to alternate picks. Whoever picked the album, the other person gets to go first and we draft our songs and we will have a roster of songs and I will beat you every week. <laughs> so this is our first pod. So I'm going to share with our audience just the history of the competitiveness uh, between me and Bill. Bill, do you have any idea what I think of when I think about me and you? Oh, I know uh, exactly. I know exactly what you think about. You think about a race in high school. I, oh, you think, exact, you think exactly about us true. in gym class and, and, and you beating me like every single time in a race. And then mm -hmm. we bet on it and I beat you. We <laughs> bet a pizza at Old Silver Tavern for lunch and Bill beat me going away. So. <laughs> so basically, if he if he's got some stakes, if he's got a prize, if he's got motivation, then Bill's a different competitor. So the question to you listeners is, you know, who are you going to vote for? Because that's going to motivate Bill. And is it going to get him over the top? And is it going <laughs> to be able to have him beat me? Well, let's just see how it plays out. So All right. you, picked Octung, you picked Octung Baby. So I get first pick. Right. We alternate picks until we get to the last track. Obviously, whoever goes first gets to pick the extra track if there's if there's an extra track. But it's the last track, so it doesn't really give anybody an advantage. And, and how do we determine a winner? Do, do we have uh, you know? Well, I think that'll be obvious. I think I, I think you know any any person listening is going to just be able to identify who wins. And you know, I, I'm going to say maybe not every time I'll win, but I think I'll win most. But how are the listeners going to inform us that I've won? Well, I think what we'll do is we'll just ask them to uh, respond. In the in the comments to our, our pod, um, we, maybe we can put up a little blog uh, post on our, our website. Uh, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put something in the show notes to let everybody know how to how to how to let us know. Okay, so it's important, folks, that you respond and let us know who you think we won. This is really really critical for uh, me and Bill, so we really appreciate you responding either on the socials or on the email or or whatnot. So thanks yeah, I a think, lot. I think I think we'll put a survey in the show notes. I think that's what we're gonna do. All right, cool. All right, so Octung baby first up so i get to pick first uh, i think you know where i'm going i am going right to the best track on the album my 
favorite. Congratulations on selecting one as your first pick. No, 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 no. I am picking Ultraviolet, Baby, 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 Light My Way as my number one song. You got the best track. That's also my favorite. And and I have to say, you know, just from a a track perspective, um, the line in that that song that I always, you know, I just think is awesome, a brilliant line. and, And I always remember is the line, feel like trash, you make me feel clean. I'm in the black, can't see or be seen. It always, I always think of that line when I think of that song and I just think it's brilliant. I don't know, you know, how much of this is true and how much of this fable, but um, supposedly Bono wanted to know how many times he could say baby in the song. <laughs> well, there, there was a story that basically they were chuckling during recording it that Bono had never said baby in a song before. And he said baby about a million times in that song and it worked. Indeed it worked. So let's see, where am I going to go with my first pick? Uh, so Ultraviolet was by, you know, was far and away uh, my number one choice. Um, I think I'm going to go with uh, the sixth track. It's so cruel and it's not a necessarily a well-known track with uh, most folks, but um, for U2 fans, it is pretty well regarded. Uh, U2.com survey of uh, U2 fans had that listed as the third favorite track uh, of survey respondents. So um, I always thought that that was, you know, sort of my secret special song, but apparently it's not. It's uh, pretty uh, well regarded amongst uh, U2 fans. So I'm going to go with So Cruel. So I- I've really thought about this one and I- I'm going to have to go with one as my number three song. I, I think it is a brilliant song. It is a beautiful track. It's all about harmony. You know, I'm all about harmony. And <laughs> and it's it's one I, I practice every night on the guitar. I'm terrible at guitar, but I, I love practicing and I try to play it every night. Yeah, you know, so we, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that, uh, about one. So I'll just uh, mention here, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I learned about uh, one was that, uh, you know, we covered how it was the first song they really um, worked out uh, for the album, but it wasn't the first song they worked on. And it turns out they were working on Mysterious Ways and they had some parts of it. And Bono wrote a uh, a bridge for Mysterious Ways and it didn't quite work. They liked it. They really liked the way it uh, it sounded, but it didn't work in the song. But they uh, said, we need to do something with this. And then they started noodling on that bridge. And it was that uh, uh, Mysterious Ways rejected bridge that ultimately became one. That is a great fact. All right, All right so, so you're up You're up at pick number four. So I'm up. So I think I'm going to go with one of the uh, other singles from the album. I'm going to go with Who's Going to Ride Your Wild Horses. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's just, it's such a, it's just a good radio song you know it's 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 just a well-crafted song it's nothing you know i don't think it's uh, anything incredible as far as uh you know teaching you about the human condition or insight into you know what it means to love or whatever but it's a great song and i, I do love the it. line in, in that song you're an accident waiting to happen. You're a piece of glass left on, left there on the beach. Love that line. Great line. All right. All right. So that leaves me up at number five. I am going to take The Fly. Uh, it, it is an excellent song. It is the heart and soul of the album. And I have to take it sitting there at number five. That's where I, I was torn between uh, The Fly and Horses. So uh, I think uh, you did well there. So The Fly to me is um, like, I don't know if we're going to, 
you know, talk about the album uh, in, in total. But like for our younger listeners, albums used to come in vinyl and they had sides. And oftentimes there was a lot of thought put into where tracks fell on on the side, on an album and whatnot. And and when I look at the 12 tracks for Octung, I really see parallels. And uh, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, Bill, but like to me, The Fly is the first, the lead track on the second side and The Fly sonically echoes uh, the lead track on side A, Zoo Station. The Fly is far superior to Zoo Station, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. But um, I think that The Fly is really the lead track for the album, even though it's uh, number seven. Wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. So well done on The Fly. All right. So now it's back to me. Hmm. So this is where it gets a little tricky on the on the draft. You know, it is pretty we... tricky. Don't mess it up here, Tom. Don't mess it up. <laughs> do, do we go with what, you know, do, do we stay you're true to get, ourselves? You're going to get, get it wrong. I know you're going to uh, get it wrong. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to get it wrong. I know that I'm going to do, I'm going to do all right with Mysterious Ways. <sighs> you're killing me. Uh, mysterious um, Ways. I, 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 never dreamed i'd take mysterious ways this early uh it, it's a song that i've heard so many times and you know you know frankly i'm a little bored by it but objectively it's it's just it's a really good track and i feel like i'm getting the good tracks that i don't love but i think that i'm getting good tracks so i'm gonna go with mysterious ways uh, it's a great pick um at, at sitting there at number six that's a great pick it, it is a a great pop song and and it was a great album a, a great radio track um so i i think it it is uh a really good pick there um i'm gonna go to probably my favorite song that's left on the album with acrobat which i i love that song and i specifically love the line i must be an acrobat to talk like this and act like that love that just imagery and and love that line yeah and you know i we've talked about this that's my favorite line on that song too and it's really one of my favorite lines on the whole album and and to me that's 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 bono acknowledging uh the public persona and the you know the outspoken person and public figure that he is but at the same time um also so the fact that he's a rock star, you know, and, and the image that I always think of is him taking a private jet to the Vatican to meet with the Pope to talk about AIDS uh, relief in Africa. You know, I mean, to me, that encapsulates Acrobat. Well said. All right. Oh, so it's me. So I, I, it I, I'm you. sitting there talking about your songs. Jeez. Yeah, there you go. Well, you're getting excited because I'm winning. There yeah, you go. That, that's a bad sign, I have to admit. Um, all right. So now it gets a little tricky. Um, I've, I've got two songs I'm trying to decide between. I think... There's only two choices here, so it's yeah, it's that that is true. So I think I'm gonna go with "Love Is Blindness," uh, the the last track on the album, and I don't know. I guess maybe I'm balancing out the, the poppy tracks with the "Wild Horses in Mysterious Ways" with the last tracks on side A and B, was "So Cruel" and "Love Is Blindness." Both of those tracks are about you know uh, love lost or or love gone wrong, and "Love Is Blindness" is very acutely about uh edge and the dissolution of his marriage and it's and it's it's pretty heartbreaking and it, it is a heartbreaking song yeah. i i agree and, and it's, it's a beautiful track yeah it's, yeah it's beautiful so i'm gonna go with love is blindness that is where i would have went uh I, I am going to follow that up with even better than the real thing which is another really good poppy kind of track maybe didn't get as much radio play but a great poppy kind of track on that album all right well i'm glad you went there because he left me with the one that i wanted here in this spot which 
which is until the end of the world um on you know just listening you know on your uh you know on on your uh, headphones it's it's a it's a pretty good song it's got a you know pretty good uh guitar riff uh, but what i always visualize is every single time i've seen them in concert i've seen you two at least 20 times and 20 times over 20 plus years and every single time they perform this song bono and edge do this super homoerotic you know little dance where you know um bono is singing and thrusting and and edge is you know thrusting his guitar and they're like two feet from each other or two inches from each other and it's really bizarre but they do it every single time and i don't know i'm kind of into it so until the end of the world all right well a little personal history with the song and a good choice <laughs> it's, it's the song i would have picked next so uh, so where we are left here with is the dregs to be very honest in yeah. my opinion um i i don't like either of these tracks uh, candidly. And, and I know we're not doing the tracks that we would, you know, cut from the album, but I would cut both of these tracks from this album. I, I, I think they don't add anything to the album. Yeah, I agree. I think that if this was a 10 track record, we'd be very pleased. It would be, you know, Octung Baby, no skips. But yeah, instead... yeah, I agree. So I'm going to go with, oh, this is hard. Uh, I'm going to go with trying to throw your arms around the world, even though I really can't stand the song. I can't, I can't stand the whole concept of the song. Drunk guy trying to throw his arm around, arms around the world, being outgoing and friendly and loving on everybody i just it bugs me I, I just don't like it so i think that you did well here you know lesser of two evils and what puts um trying to throw your arms over the edge is uh the edge so to speak is the line uh you know woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle in, in a in a lame song that's uh you know a, a, a pretty funny lyric it is a funny lyric. I, I will I will give it that. So that leaves me with Zoo Station and uh, the less said about Zoo Station, the better. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say about Zoo Station is it's it, at least it's not a particularly long song. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so, all right. So all right. that... That wraps up the song draft, and let me just give us a quick recap of where we where we landed. So uh, I got to pick first, and my my draft was ultraviolet at pick number one, one at pick number three, the fly at pick number five, acrobat at pick number seven, even better than the real thing at pick number nine, and trying to throw your arms around the world at pick number eleven. I think that's a pretty solid draft, Tony. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, this is a great album. It's uh, in your it, top it's hard. 20, it, so it's it's yeah. it's hard to go wrong. I love this yeah. album, so I, I I agree. So your draft uh, equally equally great, but maybe not as great as mine. <laughs> <laughs> Tony at number two got So Cruel. At number four got Wild Horses. At number six, Mysterious Ways. At number eight, Love is Blindness. At number 10, Until the End of the World. And the bane of his draft, Zoo Station. I feel like I got the emo uh, version of the draft here. You did. You really did. You got the very, very sensitive version. This is very, you're very, you're, you're showing your sensitive self here. Oh boy. This is going to be fodder for Ellie to make fun of her emo dad. Yeah, wow. All right. So do we do grades or? So I I, th I think, um, you know, maybe we should talk about where I ranked this. All right. Yeah, that's a good idea. So so this this was on the Rolling Stone top 500 list. Um, and Rolling Stone uh, for the 2020 list ranked it at number 124 on their list. For the 2012 list, it was number 63. And for the 2003 list, 
it was number 62. And for my list, it is number 15. So wow. it is firmly in my top 20. I think it's a brilliant album. I, I think they achieved exactly what they were trying to achieve in, in reinventing themselves. And I really think they did so in a really creative and unique way. And that's what stands out for me in this album. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I think that you hit it on the head. It's very difficult to, uh, when you've sold as many millions of records as they had up to this point to completely reinvent yourselves and do it successfully is, you know, it, it's not something that a lot of folks are able to do. And it's a credit to them. It's a credit to their team. And uh, we're all better for it. All right. I think we've hit on all of the things that we wanted to. Did we miss anything this week, Tony? Um, if we did, we'll add it in post. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. I will definitely look forward to seeing your responses in our song draft and see everybody feeling who won it. I'm hopeful. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I'm going to win week one, but we'll see. All right. Well, thanks, Bill. So uh, I guess we'll see everybody here next week. Uh, do we know what we're going to be talking about? about uh next week is episode two we're going to talk about hunky dory hunky dory i've never heard of that oh it's a great album it all right a brilliant album well then tune in folks if you're like me and haven't uh, heard of hunky dory uh tune in for episode two all right thank you for listening so long mm-hmm.